0: Good morning, church family, and welcome to today's online service and the message for today. Um, As you know, we're going to be having communion. Uh, We uh, flagged that in the church newsletter. So I want to encourage you uh, just to prepare the elements, but as you're doing that as well, to prepare your hearts mostly. This is uh, what it is about in coming to the Lord's Table, and I'm, I'm keeping this here in the background as I preach so that it's on your mind, and as we're going through the message and uh, we're looking to this passage in First John that you're preparing your heart towards um, breaking the Lord's bread uh, together in this way. So uh, our passage for today, we're uh, in First John, of course, and if you've got your Bibles, you can open up to chapter 5. And we're going to be looking at two verses today, verse 16 and 17, in the tail end of uh, chapter 5. I'm going to read it uh, nice and slowly because it's very interesting and I I want us to to grasp what uh, John is saying here. He writes this. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin but there is sin that does not lead to death. I don't know about you if you've ever um, come across this passage or read through it or it's almost like new to now, but what would you define as a sin that leads to death or a sin that does not lead to death? How would you define, what would you categorise as that? How would you um, explain it to someone, the person sitting next to you, if you're watching with someone today, how would you explain to them a sin that leads to death and a sin that does not lead to death? Um, you can't find it anywhere else in the scripture. You can find many places where in the Bible it talks about sin and death and there's a close relationship between the two. Um, There's passages in James, um, uh, Romans as well. Paul talks about a relationship between sin and death. Um, But a sin that leads to death, the Bible never explicitly says anyway, this is what the sins are that lead to death. This is what the sins are that do not lead to death. And so it leaves us with this question of what is it that John is saying here? And this is what I want to draw out And one of the interesting things when approaching a passage like this. It might be a bit hard to grasp or a bit hard to understand, a bit hard to know what is exactly being said here or what is the, um, the author trying to convey. And you probably know that there are many passages in the Bible like this, passages that are hard to, like this one, grasp or understand or really um, know what it means. But before we try and press in to understand it more, I want to ask you this question Is it more important to you that you understand what this passage means? Or is it more important to you that you practice it and that you live it out? And there's a difference between the two. What is more important that you understand it or that you live it? Because often, and what I've found in myself um, at times as I've read the Bible, is I've just really wanted to understand what something's mean, what something means, and when it's confused me, I've, I've pressed in and I've really tried hard and um, wrestled and um, talked with other people. or looked uh, deeper into the scriptures, studied more, and I'm trying to try and understand what a passage means. But the question that I want to ask is: Is it more important, yeah, that you understand it or that you live it out? Because I believe. That if it's more important for you that you live it out, that you're um, practicing what John is saying here, if that is more important to you than understanding, then that is a great place to be. It's actually, I believe, a place where someone who is seeking to love the God, they will arrive in that place. And of course, the two are closely connected. How can you live something out that you don't even understand? (laughs) <laughs> or how can you practice something or, or put it into action in your life when you don't even understand what it means? So there's a place for understanding. But often, understanding can take a place much higher and be of much greater priority than actually putting something into practice. I want to give you an example of that um, from when I was actually a child in uh, primary school. One of my close friends at the time, Nick, uh, he somehow came across this really long word. And uh, I must have been, I don't know, between eight and 10 years old, probably. And uh, the word was anti disestablishmentarianism. And uh, what Nick and I learned uh, to do with this word was to spell it. So I used to go around impressing all these people that I could spell the word anti disestablishmentarianism. And I can still do it to this day. Are you ready? A-N-T-I-D-I-S-E-S-T-A-B-L-I-S-H-M-E-N-T-A-R-I-A-N-I-S-M. Anti-disestablishmentarianism. I I know, you're pretty impressed at me doing that now. Imagine if I was eight or ten years old and showing off and doing that. (laughs) And I was really impressed with how I could spell this massive long word with so many letters in it and I would get it spot on. Then you know what happened one day? Someone asked me, well, that's great, you can spell that, Oliver, but have you ever used it in a sentence? Have you ever used it in a way that you have brought it into a conversation and actually made use of it? (laughs) And I bet you know what the answer was. I've never used it in a sentence. I've never used it in a meaningful way in a conversation. Um, And to this day, I haven't really. I've only used it as examples or things like that. So you know what I did? (laughs) I went and found a definition for it. And I came up with this definition and so that I had something. If someone ever asked me what it meant, I knew what it meant. And I had understood it. Well, that same heart that I was displaying there as a primary school child, we can find in how people and how often we approach passages like this. You just want to understand it. You just want to know what it means. And then you feel like you can sleep better at night. You're not kept up or you're not um, confused by some deep theological um, issue. What is a sin that does not lead to death? And what is a sin that does lead to death? This sort of a thing. But when all we're doing is seeking understanding and once we have our understanding and we say, oh, I've got it now, we don't practice it, we don't live it out, or it might be very minimal. In it's um, conversion out of uh, understanding into practice, converting from understanding to practice. So it's very minimal. But if our heart's desire is to live this out, then we're going to seek understanding in a right way And our desire will drive us to understand it, not because we're just wanting to understand it for understanding's sake and to impress people, oh, you know what? I know what the sin is that leads to death, and I know what the sin is that does not lead to death. We're not pursuing that sort of a thing, that we can look great in the eyes of other people. No, we're simply wanting to know because we want to live it out. And this is the thing as we've been discovering, John, why is it so important to live it out? Well, it's simply this. If we go back to verse 3 of chapter 5, John has already said, this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And so if we're truly wanting to live this out and we're motivated because we love the Lord and we say, Lord, whatever is in your word, I want to live this out. I want to live it out, and in that, understand it so that I can live it out. Not just understand it so I grasp intellectually what's going on or so that I can be impressive in the sight of others that I know and can explain all these things. No, I actually want to practice this and to live it out. Here, let me give you an example from the Bible of people who didn't live out, but they knew a lot. And Jesus describes them. This is uh, from Matthew chapter 23, and I read here from verse 2 and 3. He's talking to a crowd and to his disciples. And he said to the people, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. It's the same heart. If we approach this in this fashion, we're simply growing in our knowledge or our understanding. You might be able to spell it. You might even be able to try and use it in a sentence. (laughs) You might even be able to have a definition of it. But is it a living, is it an active thing, is it a part of your integrated life that is just being expressed out in a day-to-day fashion? And what I find, and if you're honest with yourself, you might find this as well, that we're pursuing understanding far more than a desire to live. And that actually, for me, is a reflection of our lack of love for the Lord, or it demonstrates truly where our love is at. Because if we truly love the Lord, then we can see, yes, I want to fulfill those commandments. I want to be obedient to it out of a desire to express my love for God. And therefore, when I come across a passage like this, the greatest concern for me is not understanding it. It's actually to live it out. And as I seek to live it out, understanding will find its rightful place and rightful balance in there, not the other way around. So... One of the other things I want to highlight in this passage is uh, coming from what Aaron was um, bringing to us last week and the uh, verses that uh, just go before. I'll read here just verse 14 and 15 for you now. This is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. And Aaron was unpacking for us how we need to seek to um, pray according to the Lord's will and not our own, that we see um, God's will be done through our prayer and our prayers answered in that fashion after God's heart and not after our own heart. So let's say that you understood what a sin that leads to death is and a sin that does not lead to death is. Who would you pray for in order that they might receive life? Would you pray for someone who is committing a sin that doesn't lead to, de- lead to death, that that person has life? Or would you pray for someone whose sin is leading to death that that person would have life? Naturally, as you think about that, you're like, well, you pray for the person whose sins leading to death because you don't want them to go down that path to death. You want them to have life, so therefore you pray for that. And this is a great example here of letting the Scripture form how we think. See here that John says, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. It's the person whose sin is not leading to death that you need to pray for that they might have life. He goes on. "Um, To those, um, there is a sin that leads leads to death. Sorry. I do not say that one should pray for that. Can you see the difference? It's the inverse of what you'd expect. And this is a great example of how so often we can pray in a way that we think is right or that we believe is true, and we might observe someone and say, you know, oh, the the sin that that person committing, is just so, it's on a path to death, it's on a road to that direction. And you might understand that. But John is saying, you want to pray for the person whose sin is on a path that is not leading to death. That's the person you want to be interceding for, that they might have life. And you see here that the life then is the eternal life that John has been talking about um, throughout his letter. Let me read to you again just to give a bit more clarity into this part um, from 1 John 3.24. John says this, "'Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him.'" And we know that the life, as Aaron again was unpacking for us last week, of God is found within him and within his son, Jesus Christ. So if we're keeping his commandments, we abide in God and in his life. Yet when we sin, we move out of that place of abiding in God's commandments and abiding in his life. And therefore, we're doing something where we're needing life, not in a path that is leading to death. So... As I was thinking about this passage and coming to the message today, my, my heart's desire and my, what I really want and, and I've been praying for and hoping through the outcome of this message is that there is actually going to be an increase in prayer for one another in the life of our church, that people are going to be more desiring and more concerned to be praying for one another, and especially when we see people committing a sin and saying, Lord, I want that person to have life in that place, to have your eternal life. They're not abiding in your son. They're not abiding in the place of the life of Jesus. But I want to pray that they have life and that they can return into that abiding relationship with the Lord. You see how easy it can be just to elevate understanding and to say, yes, let's just understand this passage, but are we actually going to live it out? And as we come to living it out and saying, are we really praying for the people around us? If you ask yourself that question seriously, are you praying for the people you know who are in your life, who you're seeing? And yes, it's a unique situation at this time in coronavirus, but you'll be thinking about the people in your home. Let me give you an example from my marriage. Donna and I have been married um, uh, probably coming up 10 years shortly, actually, uh, which is really nice. But throughout our marriage... Dornie has often come to me and said, you know what, Oliver, what you're doing there is not right or I'm being hurt by that or it's, it's not producing a good fruit. And I've had to say, you know what, Dornie, <laughs> that's right. It's not right that I'm doing that or it's unhelpful. It's not producing something that is good. And at times I've disagreed with her. I've said, you know, you've misread my motive there or misunderstood me and we've worked through that. But every time we've done that, our marriage has grown and we've grown strong together and to a point now where we have this great relationship Of being able to speak into each other's lives. There's a great trust there that's been built, a great respect, a great love for one another. And in that, we're encouraging one another and saying, look, you know, that was out of line or that hurt. And there's things like that. And in that way, I have grown and matured as a person because of my wife and my wife because of me. Think about the people in your life like that. Who are the people who have said, you know, what you're doing there is not right or it's not helpful or it's not good? and you've heeded what they've said, and you've corrected your path, and it's been much, um, a much greater blessing to yourself, to those around you. This is the heart that John has here. He's saying, if we see people around us who are committing sin, who are stumbling, who are walking away that is not of God, let's pray for them. Let's uplift them. Is this your heart? And again, this is carrying through that major theme of John's throughout his letter of let us love one another. This is an expression of that love. You see, so often we can get caught up in understanding, right, I want to come back to this, (laughs) and I'm coming back to that bit, but we can get so caught up in understanding and saying, oh, I don't know what it means, a sin that leads to death, a sin that does not lead to death, What did John mean? What was he saying there? And we get so caught up and bogged down in understanding that we don't even do anything with it. We see something (laughs) and it's a sin. We know it's a sin, but we don't know if it's a sin that leads to death or that does not lead to death. So I don't pray or I don't do anything. It's better to start practicing, to act, to try and to learn, to say, all right, my prayer was effective there, but it wasn't there. What was the difference? Why did I see the fruit there? Or or, or what what was going on? And that's exactly what John would have done. He would have been living this out and seeing the fruit and saying, when I pray in this situation, I see life come. When I pray in this situation, it doesn't bear fruit. So I'm not saying that you should pray in that case, but pray in this case. How did he figure that out? Maybe someone taught him. But even when you learn something or someone teaches you, you've often got to try it and test it and make mistakes, learn along the way and put it into practice and grow in that. So that's the thing I want to drive home to you. Do you want to practice this or do you just want to understand it? Do you want to actually put it into practice and say, I want to look out for people more. I want to express that heart of love. And if I'm seeing a sin that I'm seeing there, then I want to be praying and interceding for that person. I'm not saying that we're going and looking under, we're, we're trying to pursue and seek and find out sins in people's lives, you know, watching people closely and, you know, measuring, that sort of thing. That leads you down a path towards Pharisaicism. But if you have a true concern for the people around you, a true love, and you see them going astray, won't you do something about that? Won't you want to say, Wow, what can I do, Lord? How can I encourage this person? How can I pray for them? How can I see your life come in their life that they might receive the fullness of that? And so often when we do this as well, I want to highlight this point that we can say, I'm going I'm to start praying and I'm, I'm going to start just uh, looking into um, just caring for these people in a new way and, and really doing this and, and working hard because I know I should be doing that. Do you know what? Often when we start doing that and that energy and that, when I say energy, I'm meaning about in that strength and that power coming from that, I know I need to do this, I'm going to work harder to do it. When we seek to keep commandments from that place, the commandments of God, they become burdensome to us. They become heavy, a weight. But John says, in uh, early in verse three, I read that earlier, but the last part of that verse, he says, his commandments are not burdensome. And they're not burdensome because we keep them out of love. And as you pursue a love for God, you will say, I want to fulfill these couple of verses here in First John. They'll become important to you. In the whole scheme of your Christian faith, you will say, you know what, because I want to grow in loving the Lord, these two verses here, I want to bring them to life through my life that the word of God is expressed through me to those around me. And then in that place, we're doing it from a place of love and joy, not out of I should keep these commandments and I'm going to just try really hard to do this. That becomes a heavy weight and you're going to tie yourself out really quickly in that way. So keep an eye out for the people around you. Keep an eye out for sins and practice. Start praying. Start praying and seek for the life of Christ in others, in yourself. Don't be burdened by it and try and produce it from yourself, but look to God and say, I just simply want to love you, Lord. I want to be obedient. I want to just revel in the joy, and I trust that your commandments are good and wholesome and are going to bring a revitalizing life within me, Lord, for your glory. You know, a picture, it's like this. Um, when there's an infection in the body, other um, energy and resources are drawn down to come and help that infection and to restore the health to that area of the body. And the same thing is in the body of Christ. When there's an infection or a place that's not going well, we draw our resources together and we focus on that and we say, how can we be a blessing to one another in this place? How can we intercede? How can we be open and honest and share and humble ourselves, that we might walk in life and life to the full. And this is actually going to bring us to communion right now, the picture of a body and working together in that fashion. In 1 Corinthians 10, Paul writes this. I'll read from verse 16. The cup of blessing that we bless is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread. We who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. There is this unity and wholeness as we are a body because we partake of the one bread. I'm just going to go to the elements now. And you can collect yours as well. Let's break the bread together. And this is a symbol of the body of Christ, of which we are a part. And as we eat this, we take it. It is one bread representing a oneness in Christ that we have. And as we are a part of his body, we serve and love one another in this fellowship that we have as his church. Let's eat and partake in the body together. And this is the cup of blessing as Paul describes it. And this cup represents the blood of Christ, which is shed for our forgiveness. Any sin, the blood of Jesus covers, that we might have forgiveness, that we will be cleansed. And that is your rightful inheritance as you receive this in faith. He's given it freely. There is no one who can't receive this. So let's celebrate that, this participation together in the cup of blessing, the blood of Christ. Well, I trust that prayer is something that grows in your life through this, that you don't simply seek to understand, but you seek to practice a love expressed. And when you see sin, that you intercede and that you work towards seeing the life of Christ come in your brothers and sisters through prayer. May the Lord reach your blessing.